Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with singer-songwriter Will Wood. Thanks again for coming on the show, Will. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. Really glad to have you here, man. And I'm excited to hear more about your band and your latest album. But first, I'd like to jump right in and hear a bit about your journey in recovery. So where did all this start for you and what did things look like before you actually got sober? Uh, I think it probably started the same way it starts for most people. Um, you know, uh, uh, difficult teenage years. I think a lot of us start out that way. Um, seeking, uh, you know, coping mechanisms with, uh, the, uh, you know, the stress that comes with every cell in your body kind of exploding at once and simultaneously having to deal with whatever uh, traumatic, whether capital or lowercase t traumatic you're talking about, uh, experiences you're going through. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I think that it probably was, um, probably didn't have an origin uh, too different from most people's. Um, so, you know, um, probably, yeah, I don't know if there's uh, really too much remarkable to share about that. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, for me, I know that kind of looked like a little bit of, uh, you know, starting out drinking on the weekends, sure. smoking a little weed. Uh, for me, it progressed really quickly uh what, what did that look like for you i mean was it just like smoking weed every now and then was it straight into some harder stuff uh my i, I was a drinker okay yeah. yeah got it got it and, and so what was the 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 turning point that led you into recovery uh i guess the uh i guess the music mm. um it uh you know, I'd always been, uh, I've been writing songs since I was like 12 or 13 years old. And it always worked as like a, at times an escape, but other times a catharsis. Okay. Um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't really go anywhere uh, mm. for a long time. After uh, dropping out of college, um, I, uh, I bummed around New Jersey, just kind of, um eating whatever mind altering substance I could get my hands on and freaking out on various stages with various, uh, garage bands. And, um, you know, I, I, I told myself I was working towards a goal and, uh, to be honest, I don't know if I ever really was during that period of time to be perfectly frank. I remember very little of it, but, um, the, uh, 
but eventually at some point, I think it just like, it got bad enough where I was just miserable. And uh, I had been writing these songs that I had never really done anything with. Sure, I had helped to write songs in these bands that I was in. I'd written lyrics for songs and all that, but these, uh, these things that I had written as a singer songwriter, as this part of my identity that I had uh, built up over the years, I never shared uh, publicly. I never performed really. And um, eventually I was kind of uh, at my wits end, um, really falling apart, sort of at bottom, so to speak. And um, I kind of, I guess I decided, ah, am I going to be, am I going to be this thing or am I not? Am I going to, uh, Am I, am I going to pursue this or am I not? Um, you know, it, I guess it was kind of like uh, uh, now or never, because um, I'm, I'm, for all I know, I might be looking down into the maw of oblivion at this point. I could be, you know, uh, teetering over the edge of a more uh, could have fucking died. Is I guess what I'm saying. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, I figured, well, if uh, if I might just fucking die then i might as well uh try this one last thing i've been afraid to try um and that is start pursuing a career with my own music wow and um so i did i went to studio and uh cobbled together a band uh out of friends who i'd made over the years in the sort of diy music scene and um and we put together my first record and I put out the record and I quit drinking a few months later uh, because I guess I sort of found a sense of purpose. Wow. Um, you know, I started playing shows, you know, uh, I, I never once played a show uh, drunk after that. Um, yeah. Never once drank at a show after that. Um, yeah. You know, never with, uh, never with the band anyway. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, because I, I guess I had this thing that I really, really cared about and uh, was desperately attached to for the first time. And um, and I started feeling a sense of responsibility to my band members and to the people who came to the shows and uh, kind of helped drag me out of that stuff. And sure, it, it took a lot of work and it took a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of fits and starts and failed attempts. But eventually, yeah, I'd say it was it was my music career that you know, starting off, uh, that, uh, kind of pulled me out of it. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's cool that you, well, it sounds like for you, it was a combination of, of things. It was the, as you put it, yeah, you're going to fucking die. Uh, if you keep this up, but also this, this thing, uh, this music that you really wanted to pursue um and, and i think that's cool that there was like a good thing in your life that you wanted to go after because a lot of the times like for me and i think a, a lot of people in uh in recovery and the struggle from addiction it's there is no good thing really it's just it's all bad you're gonna fucking die <laughs> you know? uh, so that's cool that you had something else I, i'm curious you know and I, I like to ask you know, artists and, and musicians and singers and so on. Um, just kind of about their relationship with the substances as their and the creative side of things. So did you I'm guessing that to an extent you use alcohol and all the other stuff 
as kind of a, a fuel initially before you got sober. What was it like getting up there on stage and, and performing sober those first few times? Um, I don't know. It, uh, it felt natural. Wow. It felt, uh, it, it felt real. Um, it felt like it actually mattered. It felt like I was actually there and that uh, the things I was doing on stage actually was reaching people. And maybe it had reached people before, but I couldn't feel it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I had played so many shows with these bands I was kicking around with um, where, you know, I was, uh, I was tripping or I was high or I was drunk. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it was, um, how do I put it? Um, even, even, uh, it just felt like uh, a lot of the time it, it felt, I didn't realize how empty being on stage had the capacity to feel until I was doing it sober, as I guess the way I would put it. Okay. Uh, you know, when I did it sober, it was like, oh, okay, this actually can be fulfilling. This actually can be a, a, a human experience. This can be a thing where I'm not going on stage to make a spectacle of my, uh, of the absolute catastrophe that I am. I'm not going on stage to make a mockery of myself or to uh, um, uh, use my dysfunction as a means of some kind of schadenfreude or um, some kind of, it, it, it was, it was, uh, I no longer felt the urge to err on the side of performance art. Um, I no longer felt like I was going up there, uh, to make a scene. It felt like I was going up there to communicate, um, and, uh, to entertain, to be listened to, as opposed to just to, uh, maybe shock or, um, confuse audiences. Yeah. It was a lot of what my interests as an artist were as an artist were before then and uh, yeah i still have that in me i still do have that inner shock rocker um you know but i uh i i i, I don't know it, it feels it feels a lot more human and a lot more personal that's pretty awesome yeah yeah that's cool so i, I want to ask because we are here to to mainly talk about recovery so I do want to ask if there's any specifics that maybe you can share in terms of you said you're, you know, you felt like your purpose for, for getting sober in large part was the music and, and finding that passion there. Was there, uh, did you go to uh, like a treatment center? Did you just say, okay, I'm just going to dry out. Basically, I'm just going to do this. Was there anything else that you started to do? uh, for your recovery or was it just like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing this music thing. Like this is, this is it. Um, there was, uh, there, there was a, uh, a, a sort of, uh, support group, uh, okay. club type thing on sure. the campus of the college that I was then attending when it, during that period of time. Um, but otherwise, no, I, I didn't, I didn't like, uh, you know, do any AA stuff or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. It was mostly, um, uh, there was no program or anything that was, uh, okay. You know, I didn't do it entirely alone. Um, of course not. I had, I had a support group and when I say support group, I, yeah, I mean the people who were 
coming together with expressly that intention, but also a support system interpersonally. Um, and, uh, you know, but um, no, there wasn't anything like uh, structured about it. Uh, I was I was lucky that I was able to get out of it the way that I did, because I know a lot of people, they don't have the circumstances necessary to have that be possible. And uh, whereas I was, I was, I was blessed to have people in my life who were there to help uh, support me during that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. You know, that is the one I have a lot of people on the show that had, that come from different recovery backgrounds, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the one guiding theme that I see through all of it is that support group, uh, just exactly as, as you described it. So that makes perfect sense to me. So as you were getting sober, what would you say was one of the biggest things that you struggled with, like early on in, in your sobriety? Um, early on, I think the biggest thing I struggled with was this weird feeling that life wouldn't be fill, uh, full without it, that hmm. um, life wouldn't be enough without, uh, you know, like, I, like it, it, was, um, it was something that I needed. It was something that I needed forever you know this idea that it was um uh that uh, and there wasn't really a day that was entirely worth living without it um this idea that you know and this wasn't a conscious thought but looking back it was definitely an idea that i operated on on some base level um that there was uh you know um uh, this this weird uh, unspoken unconscious belief that I could I couldn't be okay or happy without it. Um, so uh, you know that was I think the hardest part. But eventually when it came to the point where I knew okay this really isn't actually doing anything for me and this is really only hurting me and that on the other side there is still life. Uh, it eventually came down to the hard, the real hard part at that point was uh, knowing when I've changed my mind, knowing when the other side has taken over, you know, the, uh, um, uh, it's sort of uh, just like the, you know, the two warring factions in the mind and that whichever one is, un is in control uh, you're always going to believe is you, even when it's the side of you that you're most opposed to on a deeper or higher level, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that. no, it does. Um, so, you know, and there was always an element of that going through is just knowing who I am and who I'm listening to hmm. um, inside my head. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think that was probably the the biggest thing I struggled with is I really like the way you described it. Just thinking that, yeah, that life wasn't going to be very fulfilling uh, or fun or enjoyable or, and, you know, I hear about people uh, like whether they go to treatment or not, you know, maybe someone will suggest to them like writing a letter to their drug of choice, like almost like a, a breakup letter. And I never did that. But that makes sense to me because it's like, just as you were describing, it's like, man, it, this was my lover, basically, right. <laughs> you know, th this was a real relationship and it, that breakup was, was so hard. And, and I get exactly what you're saying. You know, it's like, man, how, what is life really 
going to look like without, with, without this thing in it. Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons for me that having other people around that had been through this and, and had some experience with all this and getting sober was so important because, man, I really just had to trust what these people were saying, like, Hey, you know, life can still be pretty good, uh, without drinking or getting high. And I, I was really having to trust these people that, that that was, that that was even a possibility. Right. You know, so I, I, I do want to ask, you know, for the listeners that aren't familiar, how would you describe your, your music and your performances? You describe, you know, that, uh, th there's some shock value sometimes, or there was in the past. Is there still kind of a, a little bit of that in your shows? No, not so much anymore. Okay. If there's like an inner shock rocker, I think that's more just like a, a spirit that occasionally moves me more than it is a, a theme of my performances. When I was still uh, involved in the more Will Wood and the tapeworms element of what I do, um, it was a lot more grandiose, a lot more over the top. And so, yeah, there were some histrionics on stage and something a bit more akin to shock value. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, smashing my head against my piano and uh, screaming and hollering and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, um, whereas nowadays I'm, I'm, I mostly just kind of uh, go on stage and play and try and let the music speak for itself and uh, try and be something akin to an authentic version of myself, um, whatever that might be. I mean, I'm a singer-songwriter, um, but uh, my instrument is a uh, uh, my instrument's piano, so it's a lot of piano-led uh, uh, rock and pop with some uh, experimental elements to it. So I, I, I screw around a lot with uh, various genres. Um, it's kind of hard for me to really put a name on a lot of other people. They've they've gone out and put names on it that I've found to be um, uh, disappointingly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, come on. Uh, reductive. Uh, that's okay. the word I'm looking for. Reductive. Yeah. Um, you know, so some of what I do has this kind of like uh, darker jazz cabaret kind of bent to it and uh, then other parts of what I do is it's just folk music um, or like uh, kind of like a, a Randy Newman on acid sort of feel. Um, and uh, I like that description. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, and so like, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of all over the place. It's tough for me to describe. Um, well, that, that's all right. It will give the listeners that haven't haven't tuned in uh, another reason to to check you out right uh, now your uh, your latest album i believe is titled the normal album right that's your latest album correct and i think you guys actually crowdfunded this right yeah so uh -huh. how did how did all that work out um well um it had been years since i had put out my last record okay. um i uh so I put out a record in 2015, Everything is a Lot, and that was my first album. That was the one that I put together uh, towards the end of my uh, drinking career um, uh, before I, you know, switched professional focuses. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, the um, uh, and I was given very little time to follow it up uh, because I was giving this opportunity to work with this producer who uh, had like a four month window before he had to go and go on tour with Dillinger Escape Plan. And so I had to cobble together whatever I could have, whatever I had in my uh, repertoire in my head and, um, uh, and kind of assemble that um, last minute. And because I was working with this death metal producer and I'd always wanted to do this like really experimental album and I had so little time, the thing turned out to be this really wild screaming, roaring uh, face paint and saxophone sound. And, um, you know, and that, that I kind of, I spat out in like 2016 and, um, you know, then didn't put anything out for years and didn't record anything for years. And it wasn't because I didn't want to and not, and you know, that, that record was such a result of the first months of sobriety because it was written in the first months and then recorded in the first months. Um, and you know, that, that period um, when you're first stepping out of that haze can be uh, tumultuous because you end up feeling things for the first time in a long time. Uh, and you end up have experiencing the full breadth of human emotion and it can be very overwhelming and um, you know, it can be a very, uh, an alien world you're stepping into. And so the album sounds a certain way. And so for years I was experiencing this dissatisfaction because um, I, uh, the only version of me that had been out there and now had people aware of it was this version of me who only existed for a few months of my life while coming out of that haze. And, um, and one that was so heavily altered by that state of mind um, and so uh, affected by it. Um, and so, you know, the album was such a product of its, of the experiences that went into the recording of it, um, experiences that are so unlike anything I've had since and hopefully will never have again, um, that it, it was a strange feeling kind of walking around having this version of me that I can't possibly relate to anymore projected back at me. But I never had the opportunity to put together something to follow it up until eventually um, when I had started to build this following, I went, you know what, it's time. I can't keep sitting on these songs I've been writing since then. I can't keep, you know, letting this second record define me completely. I need to put something new out. And so, um, uh, you know, I dropped and the tapeworms from my name. I mean, you can still find the Willwood and the tapeworms albums on Spotify, but you know, I, I released a new album uh, under uh, uh, the solo moniker and uh, the crowdfunding was my means of overcoming the fact that I had no opportunity. Uh, I had no, nobody was knocking down my door saying, hey, come record. I didn't have any cash to go into studio and just start. And so I figured, all right, let's see what happens. You know, yeah. I outlined my second record, but it was such a cheaper endeavor that that what didn't feel like some big risk. It didn't feel like I was really putting myself out there like that, at least not as much. It was still a big risk. And, you know, um, it still was, uh, you know, a big deal and like really fulfilling to see people, um, you know, come together and fund the record. But, you know, this one, it was a major undertaking um, because it was a big record with a lot of big ideas. And I wanted to, you know, redefine myself and do so in a very strong way. And so, um, you know, I set out with this goal um, to try and raise $15,000 to record what I figured, all right, this, this is it, baby. This is going to be my magnum opus. And um, 
I ended up raising that 15K in the first 24 hours. And wow. Uh, yeah. And then eventually over the course of it, the campaign raising closer to 30. And, um, you know, and I, 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 I sold all kinds of things as part of it. Um, uh, I let people book me to play in their backyards. There's still videos of that floating around on YouTube. Um, I had uh, uh, people pay to come in and participate in the recording of like gang vocals on the record. Um, and, uh, you know, did like pre-orders and special editions and stuff like that. And it was, uh, it was um, a, a very involved process and uh, it really works. I, uh, I, I recommend to any artist who's, uh, you know, uncertain of where to start, feels like they don't have the right opportunities um, to try Indiegogo out and see what they can get out of it because it can be a very uh, effective tool for uh, finding funding without having some label yeah. uh, or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. But I love how you described like just the putting yourself out there, like how much, you know, of, of that was required to say like, okay, you know, I'm going to try to do this thing. No one's, no one's coming at me, you know, just giving me a check to do this. So I'm going to need yeah. you guys to, you know, we'll really see if people want to hear more from me. Well, that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of like the risk you take is, is like, um, do I believe in myself? Mm. More importantly, do I believe $15,000 worth in myself? And then to have people come back and say, no, we believe $30,000 in you um, was, you know, it was very encouraging. And I think that a lot of that uh, energy kind of provided momentum for the rest of this uh, recording process. Um, yeah. The rest of the production, which was... Um, you know, very, very different, very unique, um, you know, unlike the other processes I've been through in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, momentum, and I'm sure definitely some some motivation as well. That's pretty cool when you have a, have a response like that, when you really put yourself out there and you're, you know, and you're vulnerable like that, to say the least, that's that's pretty incredible. So what what's next? What are you, uh, are you working on anything else right now? Uh, yeah, um, right now I'm working on a soundtrack um, and, uh, when I'm done with that one, I plan to start crowdfunding for my next major release, um, which I intend to be, uh, a bit more of a, uh, um, straightforward and honest representation of who I am as a, as a musician and as a, a person, um, you know, something a bit more intimate and a bit more personal, uh, less wrapped up in, um, you know, uh, fancy words and uh, excessive metaphor and what have you. Um, a lot of very blunt stuff. Um, you know, because the, the, you know, being an artist and, and going through the ups and downs of having a career in the arts is very much an emotional journey. And, um, and I think a lot of people can see it kind of mapped in my discography that my first record, it sounds, it sounds real drunk. Um, you know, it's fallen all over the place. It's not to a quick track. It's, um, you know, the content of the songs is clearly uh, influenced by or about, uh, you know, substance abuse and uh, primarily alcohol. Um, and, uh, you know, and then the second record, I think it does kind of sound like somebody coming out the other side of that going, oh my God, I'm alive, what the fuck is this? Um, 
and, you know, and then the most recent record, the normal album is very much an exploration of what's happened since then, you know, the person I've become since starting recovery, and then more importantly, or just as importantly, rather, the person I started to become after, you know, receiving my bipolar diagnosis and getting treatment for that. Um, and so I'm curious to see what this next project will be, uh, my adjustment to the, uh, um, perhaps, um, the uh, one of one of the most um, dangerous uh, mind-altering substances out there, and that is attention from a large number of people. Um, that's that's a pretty uh, that's that's a a pretty um, uh, dangerous addiction in and of itself. But um, you know, uh, so yeah, I've I've I'm 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 always cooking up something, um, but. Uh, you know, right now I'm just focusing on this soundtrack and once that's out, yeah, I hope to continue that uh, uh, sort of emotional trajectory you can see in my records and kind of keep telling that this story that I've, I guess, been telling accidentally. Yeah. The story I've been kind of accidentally letting slip between the lines of my lyrics. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like as you've been evolving, your music has been uh, evolving right along with you. I think that's, that's a pretty, pretty yeah. awesome thing. I mean, um, if anything, I just, that's just requires a lot of, I don't know, honesty. And, uh, I think that's, uh, to be able to, you know, express what's going on with you in such a creative way and try all these different things. I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And, and you just referred to, you know, maybe what could be teetering sometimes on, on an addiction to uh, attention. I, I want to use that as a segue uh, back into recovery for a second here. And, you know, a lot of the times we'll hear people talk about, you know, these addictions to other things like attention from people, or let's say like, you know, gambling or food or video games or porn as not, being real addictions necessarily what what are your thoughts on that i'm just curious well um first first i want to apologize if i'm coming across as cagey um i have a uh that's that's just my terrible personality but it's also um you know uh i i i i knew that there was going to be conversation about recovery obviously um but you know I, i'm sure you get this a lot I, maybe you maybe you don't but i i'd imagine that you do uh in, you know, when dealing with a theme like this, that can at times be a very sensitive and vulnerable topic for a lot of people that a mm. lot of people struggle at first with this idea of, okay, how much am I talking about? What am I sharing and when, and, you know, uh, uh, what is, you know, what kind of space is this? Is this a safe space? And, you know, because here between you and I, I feel a sense of comfort and a sense of we're in a safe space. Right. The second this goes on the internet, you know, it's no, it, this is no longer happening yeah. in, Pro in my Protect office. yourself. Yeah. Right. And so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, if it's, if I'm coming across as stilted and I notice that you, uh, I, I know that you've picked up on uh, hesitancies coming from me and I, I, I want to just, um, you know, uh, just explain that like, um, you know, uh, this is something that like, you know, it, it's, it's tough. So, you, you know, talking about, um, uh, you know, one, one of the side effects of the addiction to attention um, can be, uh, 
well, negative attention. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's tough to navigate. Um, sure. Yeah. And uh, so um, if I'm coming across as uh, at all curt or I guess cagey, I think is the right word. Um, I just, you know, I don't want you to take this as me. Uh, um, um, you know, I, I do want to have an open and honest and real conversation about this kind of stuff. Um, it's just, you know, um, I, I, I just ask for, um, you know, uh, not that I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm just asking uh, for, um, and I'm, I'm sure you have tons of it, patience with me while I, uh, you know, try and stumble through that. Sure, um, yeah. You know, uh, so that being said, um, yeah, um, talking about that stuff. I, I, the experience is real regardless of what words you want to apply to it. Um, you know, a lot of people will, you know, say it's not an addiction. Well, it functions just like one. So what's the point? Why are you bothering to say it's not an addiction? Um, you know, what, why are you, uh, you know, what, what are you trying to accomplish there? And I think that a lot of people, what they're trying to accomplish is to invalidate the struggle. Mm. Uh, and the truth of the matter is that if somebody has a relationship with say gambling or food or porn or whatever um that is uh that is is mechanically similar to addiction then i don't see any reason not to call it what it is and you know the human body is designed to glom onto things the our neuroplasticity exists so that we can create these connections this reward circuitry can you know uh uh, you know, f- discover its targets and then keep pursuing them. And anything can hijack it if it's the right level of stimulation and the right kind of stimulation has the right kind of effect on the individual. Um, and so, you know, it, it bums me out when people say, yeah, no, those aren't real addictions um, because, you know, define real. And if you're, you know, you're defining your terms, I mean, why is that not? Why, why would that not be a real? because it's not a drug. Well, you know, that's, I don't see any reason why it has to be a, an illegal substance or a substance that, you know, uh, intoxicates your body in order for it to be a substance that intoxicates you. Right. Um, you know, so I think like, uh, I think it's all legitimate. I think if somebody's struggling with something, they're struggling with something. And, um, you know, if, you know, and, and I don't think it really matters what you're calling it. I, but I do recommend that people who hesitate to call those things addiction, give calling an addict, calling it an addiction a shot, because the worst thing that happens when you do that is um, give somebody a chance to have the conversation in their own terms and feel validated and understood and give somebody a framework by which they can uh, approach what you may hesitate to call recovery, but is recovery. When I say you, I just Sure. Yeah. Claims as to what your opinion on this stuff might be. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, man, I'm, I'm completely with you there. I look, I I've probably shared this in the last 10 episodes now that one of the biggest and and main reasons that I was interested in doing this podcast um, is really because early on in sobriety, I had a pretty one dimensional look at things, um, meaning that what worked for me, uh, specifically a 12 step program, mm-hmm. uh, should work for you. 
And if it doesn't work for you, then basically you're just not doing it right. <laughs> you know, right. Th this is the only way to do it. And um, slowly but surely, uh, my thinking about that has changed. And I think it only makes sense because look, it's not like that's the only thing I'm doing for my recovery. I'm doing a lot of a lot of other things. Like fitness is something that's really important to me. My, my physical health is a big part of my recovery. For you, music is, is part of your deal. So that's kind of like the solution side of things. Now, if we look at the problem side of things, who am I to say that like someone doesn't have an issue with food or gambling or whatever? I mean- uh, you know, it makes sense to me because early on in sobriety, I was talking to a couple of my buddies and man, when I got sober, I was broke as shit. Okay. And like, I think a lot of us probably are. Oh yeah. And, uh, as I started working, um, and getting a little money in my pocket, because, you know, when you're not spending it all on drugs and alcohol, that'll happen. That's just a, uh, direct result of, of getting sober. Right. Uh, man, I, I love sneakers. And I started buying fucking sneakers all the time, man. And like to the point of where like my phone would be, it would be eBay going off in the middle of the night saying, hey, this, you know, this, uh, this auction's about to end for these sneakers that you're probably never even going to wear. Right. And, you know, it sounds so stupid. I hear it. I hear how stupid it sounds, right? But at the same time, it was this thing that was kind of, to a degree running my life. I mean, it was waking me up in the middle of the night, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. And I think, I think for a lot of us, that's just the way our, our brains are wired. And, um, you know, I mentioned the fitness thing, like I had to really watch it for me early on in sobriety. I had to be really careful that that wasn't turning into more of a negative than a positive. Mm. You know, and um, because I, I think that can happen with with a lot of stuff. You know, I think that can um, it's like I, I've heard the joke many times and, and put a lot of different ways. You know, if someone presented me with a pill to cure addiction, I would say, well, what does two of them do? <laughs> you know um, what I mean? Yeah, I think it's just a matter, it is, it's kind of just how uh, a lot of us are wired. It's just, um, I remember when I was first, uh, you know, when I was first uh, trying to quit drinking, um, I think it was my dad who said something like, well, I mean, you know, it, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wanted, he wanted to support um, me, me trying to have uh, the most, you know, uh, universal and and like uh the um i think every parent's hope or not every but most parents hope for their kids would be well i hope that he can have a glass of wine with dinner or something. right you right. know um yeah. you know because to people who aren't addicts that's you know mm -hmm. that's fine and it can be a nice little thing to have you know i have a glass of wine i feel relaxed and sociable and it tastes good and here we are you know and uh, and he wanted that for me. He wanted the, a normal life for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wanted that kind of help for me. And, you know, that wasn't, at that point, I knew it wasn't possible. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he didn't know that, you know, this was, this was new for, for him, you know, sure, he, he had sure. never, he, did, he didn't know where I was. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he said something like, uh, you know, um, well, you know, I, I hope that, you know, you, you know, you might, you may still find that, you know, you're young, you may still find that you're able to, you know, 
you know, just you, you can just have one or two. Mm-hmm. And I, I said something like, you know, if I found that I could have just one or two, that would be the greatest day of my life. And he just laughed. Okay, I get it. You know, like, you know, because th- because that it does just show how you're how you're wired. It's that, you know, um, yeah, if I could control my drinking, that would be the greatest thing that ever happened to me, because that would mean I could drink all I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, it's just it's hardwired into in there, you know, um, it's not just uh, it's not just the the hooks of the addiction. There's something there's something deeper going on there, too, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I think it can uh, come in a lot of different forms um, and it can express itself in a lot of different ways. I'm not trying to suggest that you had or have a sneaker addiction. Um, you may identify it as such, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, my, my uh, you know, I'm just saying that I think that there's, uh, um, there's just like a, there's, there's a gap that's always just trying to be filled. Mm. Um, and I think that the goal is just trying to find the thing that fills the gap in a way that doesn't hurt us. Yeah. Uh, and for some people it's religion, for some people it's family, for some people it's uh, sneakers, for some people it's um, uh, whatever. I, I'm looking around the room trying to find examples of it. Um, for, for nobody is it vaping, I'll tell you that. Um, here I am talking to you about recovery. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah you know um so there's 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 always something i don't know um for me when i when i first uh quit drinking i was i was uh i turned to coffee um as i know a lot of alcoholics do um uh and i would drink coffee to the point where i was high um it wasn't it wasn't just i was wired i would start like you know it it would get psychedelic just from way too much coffee. And so, you know, it's, uh, there's an instinct in there that I think goes beyond just the, uh, the chemical hooks um, that, you know, can be found in an addict's relationship to any element of their life. Hmm. Um, So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's well said. I was laughing to myself as you were describing the conversation with your dad, because I remember right after I got out of rehab, I was uh, talking to my mom and we were up at my grandparents' house. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting, like just the family dynamic, right? And, and even my mom, who I thought was like pretty clued in on what was going on and, and where I was, I was being really open and honest. Um, you know, my grandma offered me a beer at like 30 days sober or something. And I didn't even say anything you know i understand like my grandparents just they're not really getting it fine and uh my mom was like no he can't have a beer maybe a year from now (laughs) 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 and i just kind of laughed i was like yeah i don't know we'll we'll see yeah but i I get what you're saying like i just knew for me like it's just it's you know it's not in the cards i've I've tried it and um and, and i think for me personally just abstinence is um you know, I think that's the only way to go. And it's, it's not like it's a bad thing. Like it's just made my life better. And it sounds like for you, you know, you've, uh, you found a lot in that you found a lot in your music. And, um, you know, as I described it, I think it sounds like from what you've said, there's just been this whole, this whole evolution. And, and you mentioned, 
you know, legal things. And we've seen a lot of uh, countries and, and even some states more recently legalizing, decriminalizing um, different drugs. Do you think that's a, that's a good or a bad thing for addicts? Like, how do you think that's affecting addicts and, and just maybe a move towards recovery or, or if it is even a move towards recovery? I, I think that um, uh, I, I, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty firm believer that the, uh, the prohibition of drugs is not helping anybody. Um, yeah. I, I think that because I'm, 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 I don't, nobody becomes an addict because they're having a good time. Nobody gets hooked on drugs because they're, you know, happy and well-adjusted and have good life circumstances. And, you know, obviously when I say nobody, I'm sure there are people out there who never touch a drop of booze and are perfectly fine. And then one day they're curious and then the next thing they know they're falling down, you know, uh, the rabbit hole. Um, but my point is simply that for the most part, you know, nobody's, nobody's reaching for uh, that kind of self-medication, self-soothing, whatever you want to call it, um, if everything's okay. And throwing people in jail because they had their, they, they had something, they had an object in their possession. It's not gonna, they're not gonna come out the other side going, wow, I no, no longer want to do that. Hmm. They're gonna come out the other side going, well, now I have no job prospects. I have no home. I've got no reason to live. The only thing I've learned over the past few years is how to survive in a violent world. And um, so anyway, I'm gonna go get high. You know, it's, um, and, and this idea that it could reduce crime surrounding drugs, I think is also, silly because it's already illegal to shoot someone or hold up a liquor store. Um, so you don't need to also make it illegal to do the drugs that might fuel that because it's the existence of the, it's the criminalization that leads to the existence of the black market that leads to the gang activity and the, the law breaking and that kind of stuff in the first place. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't argue that uh, drugs are good for society or that they should be uh, all, you know, perfectly acceptable and we should all be allowed to, you know, uh, or not allowed to, but we should all just go to a party and, you know, smoke crack with your buddies and have that be like having a glass of wine with dinner. But um, I don't think that anybody should ever be put in jail for what they choose to put in their bodies or what they can't help but choose to put in their bodies, what they choose not to, but still can't stop. Cause that's just, it, it doesn't do anything. Um, it just, you know, it, it just makes it so that it, it's like, um, uh, how do I put it? I've, um, I'm, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, when I was first quitting drinking, uh, an instrumental part of getting out of that cycle, um, this might sound kind of weird, was, um, was the Netflix show Bojack Horseman. Um, because it painted uh, a portrait of a character who was so deeply flawed and it was so fueled by his alcoholism, but it painted a sympathetic portrait of him. Um, the characters in the show might've hated Bojack, but the show didn't hate Bojack. The writers didn't hate Bojack. They felt for him and he was not a good guy. He was all messed up. He was a jerk and he was a drunk and he made everybody miserable, but you, you saw his psychodynamics. You saw what led him from one place to the next and they showed what made him what he was. And, um, and because they humanized this villain, um, you know, 
I watched that and I went, I am not alone in my troublesome behavior in the way in which my addiction has led me to behave in ways I know I otherwise wouldn't. Um, I'm not alone in being this kind of mess of a person whose um, emotional dysfunction is causing pain to himself and everyone around him. I'm not alone. And not only am I not alone, but I'm still a human being and I'm still worthy of love. The, the show doesn't hate Bojack. Why should I hate Will? And, um, and so it was seeing this sort of forgiveness that helped me feel like I was worth saving. And I think that there might be an element of that at play here, that if we live in a society that loathes and abhors drugs and drug addicts, then you're gonna see a lot of drug addicts who loathe and abhor themselves because they're raised to do so. They're taught through the narrative of our culture that there's something wrong with their character, that it's not just, that it's not, uh, uh, that, that, that they deserve judgment, that, you know, if, if our society is built on drug, drug users go to jail, then drug users are gonna feel like they're supposed to be in jail. Mm -hmm. And if somebody feels like they're supposed to be in jail, they're not gonna make as many, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not gonna be in a good place. How are, you, how are you gonna recover if you don't think you deserve anything but being locked up in a cage with a bunch of other people who've been locked up in cages for years? struggling to get by fighting for your life and then being spat out uh, the other side by the system and left with nowhere to go except back to drugs. So like, you know, um, I think that it's, it goes deeper than even just a policy problem. I think it's a cultural problem too. Um, and it goes deep. And I think that the more we punish drug users, the more drug users are going to punish themselves because that's really the drug cycle in the first place. Wow. Um, wow. So yeah, I think, um, People shouldn't be in jail for what they put in their bodies and people also shouldn't feel like they have to be in jail for what they put in their bodies because that just makes them want to put more stuff in their bodies. I don't mm. know. That man, that's really well said. And I mean, you just said a lot there, but I, I think the, the aspect that I had never thought about um, is, is really just that idea of how, you know, with this cycle that's been going on for so long and this, I'm just going to sum it up with the war on drugs basically. And uh, yeah, I mean, how, how are addicts or people that are struggling with this? Like, how are they feeling about themselves? I mean, yeah, it really does perpetuate this. I I'm just going to call it, you know, uh, for myself, how I felt like I'm a piece of shit. Um, I don't deserve to have a happy life. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel that way about me already and society saying I should feel that way. Right. Yeah. So there it is. Like it, it's, and that's, that's, I think a problem with our culture in general is this idea that retributive punishment, retributive justice is somehow going to solve anything. Yeah. It, I think it solves very little. Sometimes it works as a deterrent for some people in some situations, but when it comes down to it, our whole system is based around this weird you know, Hammurabi, Hammurabi sort of like eye for an eye sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think, like, I feel like this idea exists because when somebody's punching you in the face, if you punch them in the face, they'll stop punching you in the face. But addicts aren't punching you in the face. They're punching themselves in the face. Right. So you punching them in the face isn't going to make them stop punching. <laughs> um, so like, you know, um, and uh, yeah, so 
you know, um, you, be best analogy uh, for addiction I've heard by by far here. <laughs> yeah, um, you got fucking a bottle of wild turkey 101 grabbing your arm and going, "Stop hitting yourself! Stop hitting yourself!" Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, would you say you agree? Do you feel like that's? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I agree with everything you've said, and I. I I really hope that I'd, I'd like to think that things are starting to change and, and that the conversation is starting to change. And I'd like to think from a policy perspective that we're starting to at least see the people who make these decisions become uh, even slightly swayed to be more open-minded to the idea that this, this punishing people um, has not worked. And, and I think, you know, really, man, for me, what it comes down to is, is it the whole idea of, of this, again, I'm just going to refer to it as a war on drugs, because that's kind of what it all started out as, um, and all these crazy, harsh punishments and all that. Um, it doesn't stop anyone from getting the drugs. Yeah. You know, I mean, if anything, like it makes it more plentiful, you yeah. know, and um, so I, I think I think that does it for me. There, there's so much more than that, right? And and you described a lot of that, but I I think for me it can just be summed up as it's not working because anyone can go right down the street, more than likely, and get exactly what they're looking for, and and that's so this isn't working, you know, and 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 that's the gist of it. So I think that's well said on on your part, um, and I was certainly one of the people. Uh, continually punching myself in the face. Um, so I, I get that as well. Before we wrap up, Will, I just want to ask if there's maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the Sober Nation, whether it be for you know someone that's just coming into this deal, just thinking about getting sober, they're, they're trying to get sober, they're sober and maybe they're struggling a little bit. Um, just if, if you'd have any advice that you'd like to share with them. I think that even that even some of the most awful versions of ourselves, even some of the most seemingly hopeless people in the world are worth hoping for and are deserving of recovery and of a better life and of happiness. Because I don't think I believe in the idea of deserve anyway. Um, we're all just people and there's no reason uh, to think that suffering is ever good. Um, and so when you're down there at the bottom of the barrel, um, just, you know, hating yourself and punching yourself in the face and then hating yourself for punching yourself in the face, I think it's, you know, maybe worth keeping in mind that um, you're not alone. No matter how alone you might think you are, you're not you can you you are never alone and you are never past a point where you no longer deserve to be seen and understood and cared for i think that was one of the most important things that i recognized in the uh, earliest days of my recovery and so i i, I want to just say that 
I wish I had better words for it today. No, man. I think you, um, I think you actually described it pretty well. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone deserves love and everyone deserves another chance and uh, everyone deserves a shot at recovery. I, I think is what I, what I just picked up out of that. And I think that's, cool. that's pretty awesome. Awesome advice right there. So be sure to check out Will Wood and his new album, The Normal Album, wherever you stream music. Thanks again for coming on the show, Will. Thanks for having me, John. Really appreciate it. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.